January the 8th, 1994, was our wedding day. Mary and I got married in the lower level at uh, Fairmount Homes. Maybe some of you have been there. It goes back a few years. If you fast forward, fast forward 27 and a half years, give or take, that brings you up to this morning. And because of my love for my wife, there's a number of things that I do. Mary enjoys a cup of coffee with her devotions, so I get up in the morning and make coffee and make sure there's plenty extra there for her for when she goes for her cup. After work, I come home and I, I clean out my lunchbox and put, put it away. During the summer months, uh, I make sure her, her lawnmower is working condition, the blade's sharp, and there's plenty of gas there for her in the can when she wants to mow the yard. If I enter my, my room and I see that the girls have put my clean wash there, I take care of that, put that away so she doesn't have to do that. I do my best to remember her birthday, Mother's Day, Christmas, our anniversary, other special holidays. I make sure the oil in her car is changed regularly, the tires are up to the correct pressure, and her car is clean. Years ago, someone made a comment, and the comment was, a wife should not have to write out a honey-do list because her husband should be around. When things come up need to be done, take care of that. So I do my best to avoid making her write the honey-do list. My shoes and, and my coat have a spot in the closet where they belong. I try to keep them there so to pick up after me. And uh, we could go on, and the, the question is Why? And the answer is because of my love for her. And not to mention everything that she does for me. We could go on for a couple more hours on that one, but we will not. But I place a high value on our relationship, and I strive with our relationship with God. Do we live in a way that we do because of our relationship with Jesus Christ? Are there things that I do, that you do, because of what Christ has done for us. This morning, uh, Joel led us in a song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I was singing that and just looking at that because he first loved me. And we are motivated to do what we do because of Christ's love for, for us. We're going to continue in, uh, in 1 John 3. Uh, 1 John 3, plan to cover the first 10 verses here this morning. And the title of the message is, The Incredible Love of God and its effects. True children of God will live upright lives, and as we see in verse 10, we'll be committed to loving one another. So the love of God, if you can just focus on the love of God, it will bring a, a change. There are times we are going to do things that people are not going to understand because of his love. There are times people may cast a side word glance at you and thinking, why are you doing that? upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we sons of God, and does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. We go to 
John 3, 16, and we can read about the amazing love of God. And here we see another amazing continuation of the amazing love of God. Maybe this could be considered the agape love, which is a love that giveth with nothing expected in return. And that's how God treats you and I. He gave us his love with expecting nothing in return. However, he does want us to have that relationship with him. So he showered his love upon us. Then he takes it to a higher level and he calls us his sons. The love and appreciation that we have for each other. But just for a second, just pause and consider the level that God has for you and me. And it goes to the level of he includes us as part of his family. On this side of eternity, we're, we're all part of a family. And a family bond that, that we hold, that we value and hold dear. And we have family get-togethers, there's family reunions, the family vacations. And as a family, making memories. We, have, we have come from a, a close-knit family. There are ties there that are strong. And we appreciate that. But just picture our holy God as he's there pouring out his love on us. And then part, along with that, he welcomes us directly into his eternal family. So we take it further. We're heirs with him. We read in the, in the scripture how we're set apart. Brothers and sisters, the incredible love of God that we're talking about, we're part of his family. We are part of his family. And all this is a, a strange concept to the world around us. Many simply don't understand. It's foreign to them because they're living without the presence of God. They're missing that connection with God. And it's a, st a sad state to be in referring to many of the Jews who completely refused to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They would not acknowledge him as, uh, as Lord, neither would they approve of what he did. They didn't uh, agree with his doctrine and ignore his manner of life. And because they refused to recognize Jesus as Lord, they actually became strangers to him. So living they are, yes, but separated from the love of God that we hold so dear. In the end of verse 1, it says, The world they, uh, knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world does not have that intimate relationship with God. And because of that, they don't understand why things of this world, nor why we live sacrificially so we can carry the message of the gospel to those in need. And it all comes back to the love of God, which the world has knows nothing of. So back again to the born-again believers. As I mentioned earlier, we are members of God's family. And then John continues with another remarkable fact that we are to be a reflection of him. Verse 2 says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What does this mean to be like God? It means we're going to receive new glorified bodies, and sin will be eliminated from our being. So the Christian life is like a continual process of becoming more and more like Christ. Verse 2, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Brothers and sisters, that's us. We're going to be conformed or transformed or changed into the image of Jesus Christ.
day we will be with the Lord. One day we'll be living in glorified bodies that are sin-free. But we are here today becoming more and more like Christ. Could call this the preparation period as we wait to that day when we see him face to face. Philippians 3.21, who shall change our vile body, then it says that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Scripture teaches us that we're going to be changed. And because of what we see here, because of what we have to look forward to, it's called hope in verse, uh, in verse 3. And because of that hope that we have within, we see another change. And that change is, uh, takes place within. Here we see we strive for purity. Earlier I mentioned some things I do for my wife because of my love for her. And here we see because of our love for God and our relationship with him, things change. We are different people. We are here. We aim to please him. And here we see every man that hath this hope, just the hope of seeing him face to face, will purify himself even as he is pure. Uh, to, when we purify ourselves, it speaks of the habit of resisting every evil influence that would tend to defile. So we go through life, and we know there are evil influences out there. We don't have to describe them. But as we are, have the, the presence of Christ within, and that hope within of meeting him someday face to face, because of that, within us, we are going to strive to purify ourselves, to resist the evil, or corrupt influence, and strive for perfection. That's the great motive of God's love for us, and that is that we strive for purity. Why? First of all, because we love him, and we're not in a relationship with him, but also God wants a people just like himself. A people who are pure and holy and righteous, just as he is. Take it a step further. God wants us living with him in fellowship and communion. God wants that relationship that I would talk about earlier. He wants us worshiping him as we are this morning and serving him today and through eternity. And that is the reason he saved us through Jesus Christ. And today, back to verse 3, we can live with that hope within of dwelling with him in glory. Scripture teaches and we talked about our Sunday school class this morning how Jesus is coming back again. He promised he will return. And speaking of Christ, we know he is pure and he is holy. And that hope that we have within will drive us to continue the process of becoming more and more like him. For we know as scripture teaches that only a pure in heart will experience eternity in heaven with God. So why are we doing what we are doing? It just circles back to the love of God that he has for his children, and it will drive us to make sure that we are prepared for his return. So we could pause this morning. Are you prepared? Are you ready if Christ returns today? Are you in this process of purifying your life so that you'll be prepared when he comes back for the test because it is his incredible love for us? He knows where we are at. But do we know where we are at? Are we living that pure life? And I repeat, true children of God will live upright lives. True children of God will live upright lives. It brings me to the second point is the purpose of Christ's coming. This has two points in here, but verses 4 through 8. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. 
for sin is a transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Purpose of Christ's coming, a second point, to take away sin. So we've been talking about purity, striving for that because of the character and the love of God. Plus, when we love someone, we want to know them and please them. Now the subject changes to those who are not pure. He's speaking here a little bit about those living in sin and darkness. And, and John was not writing to people who sin in ignorance, those who don't know right from wrong. But he's looking to those who are aware of what is right and what is wrong and are intentional violators. It could be considered lawlessness. And that's the consistent lifestyle of sin that shows contempt for God's commands or disregard for what God is telling us. Romans 5.13, for unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. So before the laws were written to expose sin, there was no right and wrong. But today, we are living in a, in a day where we know right and we know wrong. And we know what sin is, so we know what we should do and what we should not do. So here we see uh, Jesus was manifested, or he was appeared in the flesh, speaking of his incarnation. Why did he come to this earth? To take away sin. John 1, 29, Jesus saw, John saw Jesus come unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was manifested to take away our sin. Verse 5. So how could one man take away the sin of the world? By living a sinless life. Jesus died. How did he die? As that perfect sacrifice for sin. If you go back into the Old Testament, you read the people were told to go out into the flock and find that perfect lamb. Without spot, without blemish. That perfect lamb. And that's the one you have to sacrifice for your sin. What Jesus is that perfect lamb and he lived a sinless life and he died for you and I so that we could find salvation first Peter 1 19 we were redeemed or bought back with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot he died a perfect sacrifice for you and I and I go back to the question why and it's because of his incredible love for us he loved us to the point, God loved us to the point of inviting or adopting us into his family. And Jesus said, you know, these people are living in sin. I'm going to go die for them because he loved you and I. So today, bring it up to today, is it possible to live apart, away from the presence of sin? The question could be asked, can we live in victory? Or do we know nothing but defeat? And John makes it clear that those who continue in their relationship with Christ will not practice a life of sin. Those who continue with Christ on this side will not continue living in sin. doesn't work that way. True children of God will live upright lives. So God not only wants us on his victorious team, he wants us there, but he also provided the team captain, which is Jesus Christ himself. He will lead us. And as we follow in his footsteps, what's going to happen? We too can experience the victory. 
Brothers and sisters, a close relationship with the Father will ensure a life of purity. Why? Because we shall be like him. And as we follow him, we will become more and more like him. So the closer we are with the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer we are will be with becoming pure as he is. The end of verse 6, those who do not know the Savior speak of those who are deliberately and habitually living in sin. And by their lifestyle, they prove that they do not know the one who loves and who died for them. So you could be thinking, would that mean that when I become a Christian, I'm never going to sin again? It does not mean that. If you go back, if you just remember 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what is John trying to say? He's saying, as a child of God, we're not going to persist in sin. We're not going to practice a daily life of sin. It does not mean that we're never going to fall. We're living in a day of grace. We go to Christ for forgiveness. He will forgive us. But we're not going to have that habit of continually, continually living in sin. Scripture says everyone has sinned and fallen short. The children of God will live and abide where? With Christ. And when we do this, it will prove that we know him and we're recognizing that amazing love that he has for us. When we abide in Christ, we will live and move and have our being in Christ, all that he is and all that he taught us to be. Our focuses are going to change. We're going to completely live for him. It's a process. So when we are, are living with Christ, we turn away from sin and we dwell with him. And we're speaking this morning about change as well. Our desires will change. We're going to break off the habit of sins. We're going to purify our lives. And we could say, why are we going to do this? And it's because of his great love for us. So the two sides, Jesus loved us. This is what he did for us. And our return, in lo we love him. This is what we are going to do for him. And in the process of it all, we become more like each other. We get to verse 7, and then we get to the subject of deception. And one of the main purposes of, of John writing this letter was to warn the believers and to make them aware that false teachers are going to try to trip them up. They're going to convince them that it's okay to live in sin. And we can still be right with God while there is sin in our lives. But remember, we're focusing on, on, a part, on the point that true children of God will live upright lives. So along with that, the deceivers were trying to tell people that complete purity is unnecessary. So there was deception coming along. So to lead someone astray, how, how do you begin that? Not that we want to, but what people do, deceivers do, they work at what people believe or at their lifestyle just a little bit at a time. You know, do you have to do this? Do you have to do that? Is it that important? And they try to, try to get people to change their course just in small steps. Now take that to that big ship out in the sea. If the captain wants to, to change his course, he just, he just changes it one degree at a time. And you're saying, well, one degree is not much. No, but you do that 180 times, and you're going to make a complete turn. You could, eventually, you could change your whole course. As we think about uh, the way that we're on, the path that we're traveling, along with that deception, let me ask you a question. Think of the path you're on. And here's the question. When you get to where you are going, is it where you will want to be? So the ship on the wide open sea has nothing at all to direct his course by. He's not on the road like we travel on. And he knows he wants to hit that port. So he has to make his direction, has to make his adjustments to get to that spot. But you and I, we're on a journey as well. 
and I, we had that hope within us of eternity, but we're still, have, we're still carding, charting our course. And as we make decisions, we make degree turns. And when we get to our destination, or we get to the end of our, our line, are we, wanna, are we going to be where we want to be? That captain of the vessel could have 24 hours before he reached his destinations, and we could have that as well. We could have many, many more years. But the, the changes that we make today will determine where we are going to be when we reach the end of time. So the, the warning is clear. Those who deny the importance of a righteous life will be led astray. If I'm going through life and saying, well, is it, why must I direct my life that way? Why must I live sin free, a sin-free life? Well, those who deny the importance of living a righteous life will be led astray. So how can we be so sure? Words of Jesus, Luke 13, 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. He's either going to love the one and hate the other. We cannot serve both. So Jesus is kindly informing us there that we cannot be loyal to two parties. You know, we, sometimes we talk about living with Christ and having our foot in Satan's door. We, that, that simply does not work. And John is teaching us here, informing us that we, one cannot be righteous without practicing righteousness. Like I cannot stand up here this morning and say, I'm a heart surgeon. Because uh, I know nothing about it. We cannot say we're following Christ when, we don't, when we're not practicing righteousness. We cannot say one thing and live another. We're either living a righteous life or we're being led astray thinking that sin is not wrong. And my mind went back to the end of verse 2. I just like that phrase, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Because of his love that for us and the hope that we have within. You know, we're going to persevere in that straight and narrow way. We're going to get to that mountaintop experience and say, thank you, Lord. We're going to go through them valley experiences and still say, thank you, Lord. And we're going to come out faithful because of his love for us. Just thankful that we're just serving an all-knowing God. Then we see a sobering thought in verse 8. Those who practice a habitual life of sin are abiding with the devil. They are his servants. John words it this way. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. To those who continually practice that life of sin, we see where they are at. The, the devil's chief activity is to oppose Christ and his people. That's his plan. As we talked earlier, how we're going to strive for purity. The devil is striving for deception. 1 Peter 5.8, again, familiar verse, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. There are some times you may go to zoos and you see lions behind massive cages. And you're comfortable there. This is a different story. Are we on guard? Are we living our life and striving for purity? Are we opposing any evil influence? Are we abiding with Jesus Christ and on his side? We get to the second purpose for Christ's coming. That is to destroy the works of the devil. We see that there in, in verse 8. You know, Christ came, yes, to do away with, take away sin, and also to loosen the chains of sin from men and women and set them free from the snares and traps of the devil. Well, we have to remember that, that the great God that we're serving, 
There is nothing the devil has ever done that Jesus is not able to undo. Nothing he has ever done that Jesus cannot undo. And we see the works of Satan were destroyed by the death of Jesus Christ. And we can thank the Lord for his finished work there on the cross. Some people feel they have gone too far for Jesus to forgive. But that's a lie. Because the fact remains, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And the hope that we see in verse 3 is available as long as there is life. And when we, when we think of, of this great picture we have, what I see is the love of God shouting forth just again and again. The devil came to destroy my relationship with Christ, our relationship with Christ. But because of Christ's love for us, one of the main purposes that he came was to destroy the actions of the very one who, who opposes us. And Jesus Christ came to repair that broken our broken relationship with him. And uh, the, this, the words come to my mind as I was studying out of his great love. It's because of his incredible love. And we have that hope of eternal life. The thought there back in, there in verse 8 is, is those who continue in sin, in reality, they're refusing to avail themselves to the work of Christ. Obviously, if you're, if you're working for the devil, you're not going to be working for Christ. So we make decisions and choices as we go through life. And the decision an individual makes, so I have a choice to make. And it, it's, am I going to sin or am I not going to sin? Am I going to do wrong or am I going to do right? Well, that decision is actually reflecting the character of Jesus Christ or of the devil. We're going to be like him, that's speaking of Christ. But are we reflecting the character of Christ? Is your life reflecting the character of Christ? Can the blind person know you have been with Christ? And can by your words a deaf person know that that man knows the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we reflecting the character of the devil. Our lives mirror the character of one or the other. When, when you see a newborn child, we're kind of in that stage here, what, one of the first things I do is like, oh, huh, did they look like mom or dad? And you say, who do they, who do they look like? And very few children can hide, or babies can hide their identity. Sometimes when they're real small, they can, as they get older, it's, it's quite, it's quite ob obvious. And you can tell where they're from. Whose character are we reflecting in our spiritual lives? Jesus came to deliver us from sin and to set us free. Why? So we can serve him wholeheartedly. That's why we are here this morning. To bring glory to him. And his compassion for us will compel us, just drive us, if you will, to please him in each and every area of our lives. Just as I do things that I do to please my wife. Because of my love for her, because of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to live lives that bring him glory. Then we follow along here with verse 8. To follow the path of the evil one actually makes the coming of Christ completely void, makes it worthless. Why should Christ come if we're not going to live for him? But to live pure and upright lives will bless him and allow us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. True children of God will live upright lives. Bring us to the third point, verses 9 and 10, born of God. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth 
not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Whosoever is born of God. I'm going to quote from Dr. Hammond. He put it this way with his quote, whosoever is born of God, to have received a special influence from God and by the help and power of that to be raised to a pious life. And I thought it was a beautiful explanation. Just picture ourselves born of God, endued with his spirit, able to live a righteous life, and we will not allow sin to mar our character. And what we see is a result of deliverance from Satan. As, as God lives within and due to his presence, we were going to be different. We'll be living different lives. Notable difference, change from our previous sinful lifestyle. And I come back to the thought that the true believer may struggle or fall occasionally. That's going to happen, unfortunately. But we will not practice that life of sin. We're not going to live, have that habit of continually living in sin. Because God abides within we are filled with his spirit and born of him. And continue along, we're going to reflect his character. And while the emphasis is not solely on perfection, it is on reflecting his likeness. On character, uh, Gleason Archer, and he characterized the child of God and the child of Satan. I quote, what characterizes a true child of God is wholehearted commitment to the holy will and standard of God. And brothers and sisters, I hope that's where we are all at right now here this morning. I want my life as a true child of God just to have a wholehearted commitment to him and his standard. He goes on to say, what characterizes the child of Satan is the commitment to self-seeking, self-praise, and transgression of every kind. And I hope that's not within us in any way, shape, or form. Are we reflecting the character of Christ? The unregenerate, unregenerate person lives a life in sin, and they love it. They love it. Too many people don't want to admit they're wrong and, and their sin because they enjoy what they are doing. The true believer will live a different or a changed life because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and along with that, they, we, will hate sin. In verse 10, we see two spiritual families, the family of God and the family of the devil. And we are known by our lifestyle. We are known by our lifestyle. Those who are members, those who are members of the family of God are doing what? They're practicing righteousness. And the opposite as well, those who are not practicing righteousness are from the family of the evil one. Occasionally, we may hear someone say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And while that's not all wrong, other times we may hear someone say, we're all sinners. And as I pointed out earlier, that is also the case. And it's true that all Christians may have an unguarded moment and fall into an act of sin, but we're not people willfully living sinful lives day by day. And that's the point we want to make sure is clear. We're not going to continue in that daily practice. So maybe as we go through life, we could acknowledge that, yes, we were once sinners, but now we're saints saved by grace. Is it right that we're, all, we're uh, just a sinner saved by grace? We're all sinners? Correct. But we're also saints saved by grace. I ask the question, what spiritual family are you a member of? And I trust we're all true children of God, and with the desire within just to live upright lives. Why? 
because of what Jesus has done for us. And as we see in the end of verse 10, um, that we are we not simply feel love, but we're to act upon it as well by our love for our a fellow man. Love reveals the true nature of a person. In conclusion, Jesus revealed his love to us by being willing to die for our sin. And God revealed his love to us by just calling us right, his sons inviting us directly into his family. Are we in turn revealing our love, true love for him, and proving that by being true children of God, living upright lives, and lives that are committed to loving one another. And along with that, verse 3, are we striving at to purify ourselves, to be holy as he is holy, for someday we shall see him and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's pause for prayer. Father God, we just come before you here in this morning hour. Just thank you for your promises to us, and especially your love, Lord, as we see here in these verses, how you just gave everything you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that each soul here this morning could have that drive within just to purify themselves, as you, to be holy as you are holy. Lord, may, our, may we live upright lives that prove that we have been with you, prove that we are your children. May we follow you faithfully, resisting the sin and every evil influence that comes our direction, and just becoming more and more like you, Lord, each and every day of our lives. If there's any here with sin, I trust they can be willing to repent of that and to press forward, to renounce Satan and the chains that have been bound, and just to live for you, God. Lord, I pray that each soul here this morning could be prepared if you return today or tomorrow or next month or next year or whenever you come back, Lord, that we can be a prepared people looking forward to the day you call us home. Thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. We are just so grateful. And Lord, because of your love for us, our love for you, we want to be true children of yours and just living pure and upright lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.